the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, and I am privileged to be the Director of Local Ministries here at True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, 104.1 The Fish, and even 93.1 El Rey. And we actually have an old friend in the studio today for our KPDQ and True Talk listeners. Her name is Diane Moore. She is a counselor, and she used to host Parent Talk Radio, a very well-regarded show. Parent Talk Northwest aired from 1 to 2 p.m. weekdays on True Talk 800 in 2009 through 2010. And then it swapped over to 93.9 KPDQ-FM. So welcome, Diane Moore. And also her son, Joshua Moore, is a counselor, and he too is in the studio. I have you down, Joshua, as counseling and neurofeedback. Did That's I get correct. that right off of the off of the website? That's correct. So I'm going to nod in accord as if I have any idea of what neurofeedback means <laughs> and ask you about your background. So welcome both of you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Mike. I'm still stuck on the word old. You said I'm an old friend. I'm just, I'm going to have to heal from that. I'm terribly okay. sorry. I know a counselor <laughs> across on. the desk from you. you can I can't work with to. family. <laughs> just move on. Just move on. So tell us about yourself, Josh. As, as, was it difficult being the son of a Diane Moore? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, they were very good parents, uh, you know, apart from teaching parenting and writing parenting books. <laughs> I think they did a good job in parenting. Do they practice what they preach? A lot, of, a lot of the times we end up talking with ministries whose sons or daughters ended up eventually taking the reins, like, say, Ron Mel Jr. at Compassion, yeah, or either the Franklin Grams, mm-hmm. Grams of the world after Billy Graham. So, so one of the comments I often hear from those children or pastors' kids or missionary kids was they were exactly the same at home as they were speaking. Mm-hmm. So, so does that relate to you, Joshua, and your mom, Diane Moore? It does, and uh, it really helps when that is the case. <laughs> There's no hypocrisy. <laughs> and it really hurts when it's the opposite, mm-hmm, absolutely. unfortunately. So, Joshua, tell us, did you ever listen to any of your mom's shows? You know, a little bit. Um, I got a lot of them over the uh, kitchen sink, so I don't feel like I needed to listen to all the radio shows. <laughs> Diane, you have to share, you have to share this reference oh. about the kitchen sink. This is just too funny. Oh, within the first week of my show, I was trying to find my radio voice. I can't believe I came in saying I want to do a, a, a daily show, and I'd never done any radio, so... Um, I was trying to find my voice. I thought, what am I doing? I often get myself in these situations. And um, my son comes in, and I see him coming down through the glass. And during break, I let him in. I was like, what is he doing here? He has a sink, not a brand new sink, a used sink, a kitchen sink. And he brings it in, and he sits it on the counter here at KPDQ. And I was like, "What? what is that? And he has some friends with him, and he says, Mom, for over a decade, I've seen you mentor um, girls at the house. And the way that you talk to them over the kitchen sink, he said, that's probably how you should talk to people over the radio. So how was it having that visual (laughs) device in here 
it wasn't actually your kitchen sink, but it was a yeah. sink. It was perfect, <laughs> and I found my voice that day. I got it. Okay, so I'd venture to say Joshua knows you really, really well. Scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that was. What was scary about that question you asked a while ago? So, tell us, Diane, where did you grow up in the first place, and how did you get led to eventually host a radio program here on KPDQ? Oh, man. I grew up, uh, born in Texas, raised in California primarily, and then came up at 14 to the Northwest. But I remember as a kid thinking I would be a radio show talk host or I'd run an orphanage or something. And I was like, it's really weird because God has used all of those dreams I had as a kid running around on a farm in middle California. Um, I've done a little bit of everything I dreamed. And that was just one of the things that had been in my head that I wanted to do. have no idea why. Where, so where did that come from? A, a lot of the time people working in the ministry following the footsteps of their missionary or clergy type families, or a lot of people ended up in the military, for instance, had a grandpa or a dad or an uncle mm-hmm. who was in the army. So did you have anyone who was in broadcasting or in counseling or, or working with orphans when you were young, Diane? Oh, with the orphans? Yes. Yeah, um, like, you know, what planted these seeds in your yeah. head? I did figure out the radio. I, I did. I really did. I, we grew up without TV on a farm in Davis, California, and uh, we didn't have a TV. We didn't have a radio. We had a radio out in the cow barn, and it, it was broken. And so my dad fixed it by welding it on the Christian station. And we told him after we grew up, hey, you know, we think that was kind of controlling. And he said, no, 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 I promise. It was broken. It wouldn't have worked had I not welded it somewhere. (laughs) And so he welded it on the Christian station. So I was listening to the California forum of KPDQ. And that's all I had to reach the outside world. And, And it was this, it was soothing. It was wonderful to sit after we'd worked hard all day in the evening and cows were milked. It smelled like hay. And we just kind of lay around and hear these voices of people telling us stories of hope. And um, I, I think that's where that was born. The orphanage, um, I, I don't know, but I do remember being moved by uh, people who came through the church talking about orphanages and thinking that would be delightful. That's amazing. Do you remember any of the names or the programs that stood out and influenced you growing up? For instance, for me, Sunday afternoons after church, getting ready to play ball. It was always Casey Kasem on American Top 40. And I'm telling you, 35 years later, I can still remember long distance dedications, what the song and the artist mm-hmm. were, and who was sending out to whom and why. I think music has mm-hmm. a profound ability. Radio has an incredible potential to touch people's lives over the long term and mm-hmm. really just get to them. So did you yeah. have anyone like that in particular, Diane? I think the Union Gospel Mission was the most powerful, and I use it, I've use it. i used it everywhere I've worked, whether I was a children's pastor uh, or I was um, a radio talk show host or, or now, especially as a therapist, um, seeing what can happen with people, that they can be at the absolute bottom and that they can find their way out. And there is always hope. Mm-hmm. I could see that coming out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of us who've worked here at the stations longer, they rave about you. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, General Engineer Clark Hilton demanded that <laughs> you're not allowed to leave this building without oh, seeing Clark. him. So I'm just Clark, kind Clark, of Clark. putting that you. out there. So how was it moving to Oregon in the first place? Because I, too, am a fellow transplant. I moved from New York mm-hmm. about seven years ago. Was there a bit of an adjustment being mm-hmm. in Oregon for the first time? 
Well, I was a freshman in high school, and I was thrilled to death that I could finally justify buying an umbrella. And then oh. I, I carry it to school, and I get, you know, the, okay, we don't do that here. Okay. And so I was, you know, so confused. But, uh, yeah, I, it was beautiful. I um, didn't think I'd like it. I was, uh, I was just a brand-new Christian. Well, what led to the move from being uh, at a farm in California to moving up to Oregon? I'm curious. Oh, Mike, you're so good. Uh, our, our, the kids in our family were falling apart. We were all going to very bad places. And my dad quit his job and sold the farm with nothing on the agenda for him to get us out of that town and find a place where there was a good school. And we found Portland Christian all those years ago, and we found a good church. And he thought he could change our environment and that we would do better. We would thrive better. I tell you, my dad, he just died two years ago. He was a phenomenal man, uh, what he would go through to uh, to figure out how to problem solve what was happening for us. And so it moved us up here, and um, I, I, it was life-giving. I didn't want to be here, but I, it didn't take me long to move around, to turn around, because I was loved by a, a wonderful church and in a good, healthy environment. So were you in a church-oriented family growing up? Yeah, yeah. We were in a tiny little church, though, and uh, then we went from a tiny little church to a bigger church where we kind of got lost in it. So we had this church that was uh, more, felt more like family, and there were lots of rich uh, relationships in that church when we moved up here. You know what? I think that's important. Earlier on, we were talking about the importance of plugging in locally, and mm-hmm. I'm proud to be part of a radio ministry that puts so many great teachers and preachers and pastors on the air. And at the same time, I've got a heart for the local ones because, mm-hmm. well, you can't go to J. Vernon McGee or Alistair Begg's church very easily, mm-hmm. but you could go to Bethlehem Washougal. You could mm-hmm. go to Calvary Chapel, Portland. You could go to Athew Creek. You could go to Lake Bible. You could go to Southwest Bible. And I'm just hoping and praying that somewhere down the line, we fill up our airwaves with great local, normal, perfectly imperfect Christ-following people to encourage our listeners, to just stop and think and try to connect with a local ministry. And there is no perfect church, and there are no perfect pastors or leaders, and churches of every size and denomination will have flaws. I will guarantee that. We're not going to reach perfection until we get to heaven. Sorry, folks. But don't (laughs) let bad experiences paint a picture that all churches are fake. All mm-hmm. Christians are bad. A lot of the time, it's simply miscommunication or finding the right niche. Mm-hmm. I'd have to say that the church God led us to right now for the last several years, it's home. It's big, but it's more intimate than much, much smaller churches I've attended in the past. So it's out there. I'll get off my soapbox yeah. right now. Well, I've heard if it's perfect, then you wouldn't match. There you go. <laughs> if there's no perfect churches, and if there were, you wouldn't be invited. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my old pastor used to Sorry. Say. But that's okay. So where and when did your faith become your own? You mentioned it was right around the the time you moved up here to go to high school? Yeah, I was in eighth grade, and I had decided that either you were, it was kind of predestined, and I don't even know if my church believed in that or not, but it was like you were going to be a Christian or you weren't, and I figured I was one of those ones who probably wouldn't be able, because I couldn't. I couldn't love my brother. I couldn't do those things that I saw in the Bible, and so I just figured I was I was bad. And um, I had a teacher, an eighth grade teacher, who just loved me. 
and um, I had been on my worst day. Um, I, I, I won't even tell you how bad I was, but she called, she asked for me to stay after, and I thought I was in trouble, but she wanted to tell me how um, how much uh, value she saw in me and how someday she'd be really proud that she was my teacher, and that was it, and I thought, she's crazy, but she didn't give me anything to fight her back on or you know resist, and she just loved me, and I was like, man, it kind of ruined my theology that God couldn't love me. I said, man, if Mrs. Mertz could love me in, on my worst day, then, um, then that blows everything apart that I thought about God. So I gave up. And here you are today. Yeah. Diane Moore is a professional counselor alongside her son, Joshua Moore. She is the former host of Parent Talk Radio. More with Diane and Joshua Moore next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800, and Parent Talk Radio was hosted by Counselor Diane Moore, who is in the studio today with her son, another counselor, Joshua Moore. So thank you for both of you. I love having both of you here. And Diane, we were talking about how it was making the transition from a California farm girl to moving up to Oregon. And I got to give props to, to your dad. I'm sorry for your loss, but what a neat gutsy thing to do as a husband Mm -hmm. and as a father. I wonder, would I have the guts to make such a move to give up everything I knew had and built up to Mm -hmm. give my kids a better chance at success? And and you don't have to delve too deeply into it, but Mm -hmm. he must have been somewhat desperate or concerned at least to make such a drastic move. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, I, I remember being up here and realizing I had, to, I had to be okay. I had to get my life straightened out because I was really afraid he'd pull up and move like to Alaska if if we weren't, you know, because I realized he he's going to do anything to make sure we're okay. So he drew his line in the sand, yeah. and you knew he meant business if he was yeah. going to sell the farm and move mm-hmm. to Oregon. Yeah, but he was an extraordinary man. I mean, I know my son here, he's invested a lot in his grandchildren. He just He's like a sunset when he died. He left a, a tremendous glow in the sky that still lights the sky. And you also mentioned about one of your teachers just kind of pulling you aside and giving you a profound word of encouragement. And had you ever had any conversations with her about life, God, religion? Like, I wonder how she knew. Was it a quote-unquote mm-hmm. God thing that she just knew the right seed to plant at the right time? Yeah, that had been at the point where my dad was in the process of selling the farm. And so he pulled us right out of the school that we were in and put us in a little private school um, there in Sacramento. And um, so she was a Christian school teacher, but I, only, I was only there for one year. And um, so she, we had, I'd been class president. I have no idea why I got to be class president that nobody knew me, but, but I came in and so her and I would have all kinds of conversations and I realized I felt like I was a stronger personality than she was. But now looking back, I see she had a tremendous capacity to love. And I actually, after I realized, you know, the tremendous uh, impact that little conversation had, uh, 27 years later, I looked her up and I found her and sent her 27 white roses to signify that every year that I had been a Christian. And I told her because I never told her that I accepted Christ because of that conversation. Did she remember and, the conversation? I'm curious. Did she no, remember she you? No, she didn't. She, oh, totally. She remembered me, and she asked about all the children. She even asked about some of the kids who were so naughty. 
And she didn't remember them as being naughty. She just had such a heart of grace and mercy. She remembered them as being talented and gifted. Just like she looked at me and just didn't see the ugliness. She just didn't see the naughtiness and the waywardness she saw underneath all that. What a perfect person for God to put in a teaching capacity, one who was yeah. unwilling to see the negative, mm-hmm. but, but only willing to remember the potential. Because mm-hmm. that's the kind of people we need in teaching capacities. Yeah. But I digress. So somewhere down the line, you decided to study and go into mm-hmm. counseling. And, and at this point, your faith was pretty solid Yeah, throughout your mid to late high school years, I would guess, right? Yeah, I didn't study right away. I actually started uh, being a Montessori school teacher, kind of that little orphanage idea, had my little kids. And then um, my husband ended up, we were up in Seattle working for Microsoft. And so I realized, well, first of all, I don't need to work. And, and all of a sudden we had three kids. So I had my own little school. And um, so I raised them for a while. And then um, my husband quit his job and we went into ministry. And in the middle of that, uh, it all fell apart. It was a real refining time. We went into um, uh, missions. The mission organization it doesn't exist anymore. It was very painful, but um, I was called by a church to come be the children's pastor. And uh, so I was like, no, I don't think so. And I was like, my husband's like, don't you want to ask God? You know. So I got into ministry. Kind of, He accepted my call to ministry. And... Um, so I got into ministry and I was working with people, you know, like in a broad way. And I realized how much more powerful it would be to work a little bit more narrow and um, narrow, narrowed down to now. It's just me and another client. I don't even do marriage counseling because there's too many people in the room. Just me and another person. Is it a rush? I mean, do you hit the pillow mm-hmm. at night saying, wow, thank God I was able to say the right thing, figure out the right method, mm-hmm. give the right bit of advice to... When you think about it, affect the generation. I'm on my knees in the morning, but it is a rush to see. It feels like I've, sometimes I feel like I've sat with God all day just because it's just holy work. It's just holy to do the battle between truth and lies. You know, the lies we believe about ourselves or that we've been told to believe or that the experience of our life has told us is true. So I'm going to turn the page and go to you, Joshua Moore. How old were you when all these transitions were going through? I mean, Microsoft takes care of its employees. It's it's yep. almost kind of cult-like in the way that their culture is. Uh, my dear uh, cousin used to work for Microsoft. And, you know, you're a 25-year-old kid with a brand-new Z3 and a futon right. and, and flex time in, in your uh Well, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, middle. He was, he was the executive director of finance, so he was a big guy. Wow. Um, so I was probably five or six when he left. So was it a bit of a culture shock for you? I'm presuming that, that someone at such a prestigious position at a large company probably did okay financially. He, and all of a sudden he did, he's going into But we were also here? living in a trailer. Well, that's, you gotta, we wanted to build our own house. Okay, we were building our own house on, yeah. in very prime property. Nobody okay, lived so, so in a trailer you could not have told, in that neighborhood. You could not have known from the outside perspective that they were doing well financially. <laughs> Oh, that's we were so having fun. We were yeah. just playing with dreams. And- yeah, we had a lot of little, uh, I don't know, land and uh, a small trailer that we lived in and uh, just kind of piddled around the land. And uh, I guess we were all sleeping and our feet were probably all touching. I don't know. <laughs> so, so where do you fall in the birth order of, of three kids? I'm the middle child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you naturally driven? I, I, I'm, I'm, being, I'm 
Forgive me for going off on tangents yeah, right uh, now. Okay, but I'm, my I'm very child is just yeah. driven. I'm coaching her in softball right now, and she does not want to do badly. Mm-hmm. She wants to encourage her friends. You know, she'd rather win than lose. But there's just something about a middle child that it's a drive or some kind of innate competitive streak that not all of them have so easily. Do you find that in yourself, Joshua? I do. Yeah, I'm I'm very stubborn, very stick to itiveness. Um, I also had a lot of learning disabilities and things that I had to overcome, which you, it either makes or breaks you. And for me, it made me a lot more stubborn, a lot more, uh, of a hard worker. And, um, we could go more into that if you wanted, but, uh, oh, feel free to, feel yeah. free to, if you want, because well, I, if I was, you were this, <laughs> this good looking Portlandia hip dressed, uh, young man walking in with his mom, the former radio counselor. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, Man, I'm so out of place compared to these two. I would have had no idea you ever had any learning right. obstacles growing well, up. Well, it was, it was diagnosed fairly early. At age four, I was diagnosed with depression and sensory integration disorder. Uh, later, uh, several different forms of dyslexia, which I don't fully understand. I okay, failed. So dyslexia, we can understand, is right. when you see a word, the letters come out of order. Can you there's elaborate a lot of, on some of the other there's, there's diagnoses that you had? There's different mechanisms uh, or, or, or constructs that you can define dyslexia by, and I failed 11 out of the 13 tests. Some of those relate to how you hear things and see things and how you communicate, uh, but uh, I actually you know, tested positive for all 13 or, or negative for all 13, 11 were pervasively failed. So I had a pretty extreme example of dyslexia. And, um, you know, uh, my parents knew that that, that was tough and that uh, the doctors told them I probably wasn't going to learn how to read. And I remember doctors explaining that in front of me, which is something you probably should never do. Um, but uh, everything I did as a child made my parents thrilled. Every effort that I put out Every small accomplishment that I made, my parents were thrilled. So I grew up in an environment where um, everything I did was wonderful, and that informed my self-esteem. So I had positive self-esteem as a kid. So, so good things came out of these diagnoses, Very as much accurate so. as they may have been. And part of it was the way that my parents responded to those diagnoses. You could become frustrated and scared and worried and, and troubled, um, or you can just accept your kid the way they are, love them, and feed into them positively. Uh, notice the effort rather than the product, and praise the effort over the product. And they will have good self-esteem. Kids are actually fairly simple, relatively simple. Uh, it's kind of, they believe what we tell them to believe, especially that five, six years old. Um, my parents told me wonderful things about myself, and they fed me lots of positive energy. And uh, that's what I believed about myself. Joshua Moore is in counseling and neurofeedback. He's also the middle child and son of counselor Diane Moore, former host of Parent Talk Radio. More with Joshua Moore and Diane Moore next mm-hmm. on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here with Diane Moore of Parent Talk Radio and her son, Joshua Moore, who himself is a counselor today. Mm-hmm. So you were telling us about growing up mm-hmm. and remind us what your diagnoses were as a young child, how that affected you and how it was conveyed to you in the first place. Right. So so I, I have a little pieces of memories as a child. I, I knew that the doctors had told my parents that I would never learn how to read, um, though I didn't really do much with that as a child. I don't know that I internalized that a lot. How old were um, you at this point? Well, uh, I don't know exactly when the doctors stated that, but I know that the diagnosis of depression and sensory integration disorder were given at age four. Uh, I'm sure, pretty sure that the uh, not being able to read or probably not learning how to read uh, was probably reiterated a few times throughout my childhood. Um, mom might be able to speak to that. And are these common things for 
kids to find out or for parents to find out about their kids at such a young age about depression at age four in particular? Or is the fact that, Diane, you are in counseling professionally, did, did that kind of give you a, a better sixth sense or idea of things to look for? You know what? We didn't really listen to them. We didn't listen to them um, because the diagnoses don't aren't, aren't good for kids. You know, <laughs> they wrap their identity around it and everything. It's like for for a child to be depressed, he's grumpy, he's grumpy, and so you just work with the like. What we wanted to know was what is his world like? Can you tell us what his world is like? That's more important to us than some name that you've come up with, so we can help him navigate his world. Right. Right. If we knew what the child was experiencing, we'd, yeah. we'd have empathy and patience. Yeah. And then we could help you know, him find his gift because we both, my husband and I, have a deep-seated belief that behind every diagnosis is a gifting. And we told Josh at five years old, you will solve complex problems. We're confident of it. We don't know how you, and you were, do They really did the believe that. They believed that I saw the world in a different way and that I was going to see things that other people were going to miss. He now, did. Now, could they tell that, Joshua, at such a young age when you were, say, three or four? Well, from a three- or four-year-old perspective, I just knew that my parents thought positive things about me. That, that's <laughs> all you got. That's all I it's got. It's like, my parents believe in me. That's it. So when you hit the pillow at night, I mean, did that give you hope? Did that give you inspiration? It did. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's when really he was neat. either six or seven years old, I, he was going in for his SATs, and they allowed me to give him a pretest. He found two mistakes. On the pretest, you found mistakes, right? Because he thinks globally, and so I went in and I said, "Look, he found these. What do you think about them?" And he and the person, the lady said, uh, "He's right." That's fantastic. Yeah. This this is the kid they said wouldn't read. Yeah, right. So did did you ever have any uh, rough night, you and your husband Diane Moore, when it came to? dreams you have for your kids when they're, you're young and perhaps some of the limitations that a diagnosis like that would mm-hmm. give you or, or dreams that could shoot down. We've worried about all three of our kids for different reasons, but for Josh, um, yes, absolutely. We worried, we worried about how he was going to function in the world. Um, we worried about the, the depression or the grumpiness. That's how depression looks in a child. Uh, we renamed him Smiley. Uh, right. we, his dad took him to Africa for a month. Wow. Uh, his dad had him stick to, to, close to his side for a year when he was unemployed just to spend time. Just spent time at, with him at work. Just went to work with him. Yeah. Just spent time, time, time. Yeah. Yeah. And look at you now. Mm-hmm. And that helped so much. We were just looking at how do we um, help him uh, feel uh, what he needs to feel to not feel the, 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 the negative side of how he's experiencing the world. It's kind of funny how the conversation ended up coming here because you did host Parent Talk Radio. So I'm going to bounce this off both you, Diane Moore, and and you, Joshua Mm -hmm. Moore. Now that you are seasoned, professional, successful adult counselors, there are parents out there who are losing hope. They're receiving bad advice or bad diagnosis. And I'm not saying don't get your kid checked out. By all means, get your kid looked at. Find different opinions. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just so easy to get wrapped up in things. For instance, my wife and I went through a great season of difficulties getting pregnant and Mm -hmm. then staying pregnant. And as a result of that, Joy was robbed when they had all these tests done. And don't get me wrong, the doctors were well-meaning ones. But they, they tested things to death to the point where it was difficult to push worry aside and say, you know what? 
he's in God's hands or she's in God's hands or God knows what he's doing. And if everything hits the fan, he's still going to have a bigger plan for us. And sometimes it's tough to enjoy a pregnancy when you, when your doctors are telling you, oh, well, you know, uh, your kid's missing this. Therefore, there's a 7 out of 11 chance he or she will walk normally down the streets. And then there's that other side that might uh, necessitate a, a partial lobotomy and, and hourly seizures. Have a nice day, though, and here's your bill. Mm-hmm. You know, so what can you tell parents when it comes to their kids if they haven't had the best or most encouraging of news, and especially now with your experience as an adult, Joshua? Mm-hmm. Mm. Go ahead. Uh, well, find the gift. There's always a gift. Um, and find out what the world is like as much as you can. Watch the movie Temple Grandin. About well, a yes, woman. It's called Temple Grandin. It's about a woman. Josh could describe it better. Well, she revolutionized two different industries, and she's autistic. She has two different PhDs. Temple Grandin. That's Let me correct. write that down. Never even heard of Very that Very inspirational for parents whose children have a learning disability. There's Thinking in Pictures. That's a documentary as well. You could watch that one. And she's got a book. There's lots of good stuff with her. But uh, the point is, uh, if you figure out who your child is, and you parent that child... You know, you can go to a a child specialist and learn about children, but then at some point you have to become the specialist in your child. Mm -hmm. And once you've done that, you're going to be fine. Um, You have to gather up all those external resources and then take that next final step to becoming your own expert in the child that's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some kids are just not going to fit in some of these books um, and some of these structures and and resources that you need to uh, change based on who's in front of you. And pray. Yes. We prayed for the right resources. And it's, it's miraculous how God provided for us. So what were some of these resources? And could you suggest some names, numbers, mm. websites to people that might encourage them? Not really. I'll tell you what. Now the best resource is Josh. That's what he works with. He's the best person. If I have a person who comes in and their child has the same diagnosis as my son, I send him to my son. Who that's, He's the best I know of. But... When we left Microsoft and we, our income went drastically down, I prayed and I said, God, listen to me. I like took God by the coat, uh, you know, the, by the collar. And I said, listen to me. You are asking me to go and leave these resources because he had like three stages to the therapy that he needed to do. It is time for us to do eye therapy. And I'm going to go to this little town in, in Ohio and there's not going to be the resources that we have in this metropolitan area we mm-hmm. live. And um, God just like, all righty then. So we got there, and I was so tempted to go to the large city to go all the way to Cincinnati, and I was convicted. So I just went to this little town uh, uh, um, doctor, eye doctor, and he said, you know, I could prescribe a lot of really fancy things, but if you get this particular game and you have him play this particular part of this game this far away from the television in six months, he'll, he'll be through this stage. And that is exactly what happened. The, the small town doctor. Small town doctor it. gave us what we needed for that stage of where Josh. Well, was and at. he only recognized this because his daughter had the exact same disorder. That Is was that right? yeah. That was another doctor. Oh, yeah, well, doctor, the first doctor who even told us what what was going on because we had no idea what was wrong with him. He said the only reason I know this is because because I took him to an eye doctor, and he said no. The only reason I know what's wrong is because my own son has this problem. He said now I know where to send you. So what was. The exact problem, and is it relatively rare? I, I had no visual tracking whatsoever. So if you threw a ball at me, my eyes actually couldn't follow anything. And even when walking, you know, if I'm not looking straight ahead, 
I can't actually follow anything with my eyes. I can now, but that had to be trained in at a much later age. Um, zero ability to follow moving objects. So, so you put him on like a merry-go-round or something like that. He's screaming. You can't. We couldn't do things. The that sensory the other integration kids disorder is bad. <laughs> he couldn't ride a bike for a long time. But look at you now. So with mm-hmm. all these different methodologies and experts you've seen and practices and hard work with your parents, mm-hmm. when did that noticeably begin to change? Well, I, I kind of crashed and burned through life. If you were to look at the grades and things like that, I was a happy kid. I did fairly well, uh, you know, unless you looked at academics and, you know, <laughs> uh, but I think I, I got a lot of 60.0s in a lot of classes in high school. Um, but it wasn't due to lack of effort. And I think the reason why I felt good is because uh, parents told me I should feel good because they saw the effort. They knew I was putting out the effort. Uh, I didn't have any learned helplessness at any point, uh, which is really significant because that's usually the natural progression of having learning disabilities is that we develop skills to getting everybody else to rally and solve our problems for us. That's easier than doing the work. And we, we get really good at that, better than doing the work. Uh, well, it never, never happened to me because my parents focused on the effort rather than the product. And so uh, I felt good about my work ethic. I felt good about my, you know, what I did, even though the grades were very, very poor. Uh, it wasn't until I got into college, which was a big step of faith. I went to Multnomah University. And um, uh, Multnomah really carried me through that first semester. And I ended up uh, passing all my classes and eventually getting, uh, I think, a 3.85 at Multnomah uh, you know, there was a little bit of counseling. There was a little bit of working with the professors. <laughs> that was uh, a beautiful day. Yeah, it was. But but it was a it was a it was a stressful first semester as I figured out my feet, um, and I had to learn how to learn um, myself. I had to learn how to learn differently than everybody else. I had to build my own system, and uh, no one was learning the way I was learning. I had to write things a certain way. I had to highlight certain things, um, and. Uh, no one could teach me how to do that. And, and until I was in college, I just didn't have, you know, the neurological mechanisms turned on to even solve those kinds of problems. It was too complex. So we're just kind of biding time until I could figure it out. <laughs> and today, Joshua Moore works in counseling and neurofeedback. Thanks to the grace of God, mm-hmm. efforts, and this little help from his mom, counselor Diane Moore, former host of Parent Talk Radio. More with Diane Moore and Joshua Moore next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Thanks for listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Former talk of Parent Talk Radio, Diane Moore is in the house, as is her son, Counselor Joshua Moore. So, Joshua, I love the fact that you grew up with all these negative diagnoses, Mm -hmm. and still your parents only told you what you were good at, and they encouraged you. How did they do that most effectively? Does anything stand out in your mind that that you had such a a rosy perspective on life? Yeah, I I remember that uh, they were the ones encouraging me to take breaks. They were the ones encouraging me to uh, relax, uh, you know, finish it, save it for tomorrow. Uh, Even, why don't you skip school today? We'll bake cookies. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Terrible things uh, that parents don't usually get credit for, for, uh, uh, you know, trying. But um, but they really wanted me... uh, uh, to work hard and then to take breaks. And they were usually providing a lot of the recreation for that. Um, I really do remember them calling me Smiley over and over again as a child, uh, not knowing why. I really wasn't even aware of uh, the learning disabilities until I was around 18. And part of the learning disability, I think, is that I had an inability to piece things together. Um, <laughs> well, the Bible talks about 
the tongue having the power of life mm-hmm. and death, and they spoke life into this grumpy yes. kid. They called you Smiley, mm-hmm. and you bought it, hook, line, and sinker, somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. That's all you knew. So that's encouraging to all of us parents who might have kids who are a little off the beaten path, a little different, who don't fit into the compartment as well as others. And, uh, my, my son is like that as well. Told us he wouldn't read, he'd be behind. He's just stinking brilliant. So we're in this homeschooling cooperative called Classical mm-hmm. Conversations. And if you memorize 400 facts, which you get tested on at different points, anything from mythology to geography to math facts, then you get to be a memory master. Okay, so the first time we had this, my compliant firstborn 11-year-old Hannah got it just out of work ethic. Now, TJ, on the other hand, at age seven, his memory is just frighteningly strong. He'll read a book on the Super Bowl, and he'll want to talk about Johnny Unitas. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. But he memorizes things like that. So now I'm proud to say my son TJ is a five-time memory master. Wow. And it's just, it's neat to see... And it's difficult not to be just a little bit prideful yes. when the experts say that you can't. And yet, by the grace of God, look at you today. Right. So, so did you always want to follow in your mom's footsteps to a degree when it comes to counseling? Uh, no, I think I wanted to do a lot of things. I wanted to do some missions work. I spent a long time working in human trafficking, uh, fighting that over in Nepal. I spent a few months over there. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. I still have a heart for Nepal and would love to go back. So what exactly did you do there? Uh, I went over and uh, wrote some grants for some orphanages over there and got them funding and then uh, did some observational studying of the human trafficking organizations, the rehabs and preventative programs and intervention programs. Well, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, where it is so rampant, what a, a neat feather to have in your cap. That, that's incredible. Well, it's just a, it's more than a feather. It's a, it's a passion. It's something that I think we should all be passionate about, even in the church. You, you know, it's, it's, we're supposed to care about the orphans and the widows, and sure, it's there. It's, it's all around us right now. Okay, mm-hmm. so your mom, Diane Moore, mm-hmm. and your dad are successful, walking strongly with the Lord, obviously love and invest a lot of time with their kids. Mm-hmm. So did you enjoy growing up in the church that you were raised in? Absolutely. Uh, as a kid, I had a hard time putting things together. I didn't understand faith, even though my parents were uh, speaking and doing pastoral work. Uh, I didn't become a Christian until I was about 15, and that wasn't for lack of exposure. It was just uh, difficult to putting it together. But I loved being in the church. I loved the community. Um, it was a great place to grow up, uh, warm, welcoming fellowship. So in, um, in your mom's case, Diane Moore had, had said that it was a, a teacher back in her early high school right. years that just kind of really planted that really strong seed, which allowed her to see God differently and, mm-hmm. and more positively. So was there a light bulb moment for you? I'm sure you had Absolutely. a lot of different influences throughout your life, but can you share that with us, Joshua? My light bulb moment was when uh, I went to... Uh, uh, something called Worldview Academy, which is essentially a theology school for a week, week and a half. And uh, it was really just concretely spelled out there in a very uh, systematic way. And that's when I not only became a Christian, but knew that I was going to go to seminary or Bible college uh, because I loved the way that it was constructed. Uh, having it in kind of the sermon format just wasn't quite um, uh, structured enough. I wanted a, I wanted a, you know, a college-level <laughs> education, uh, and I really connected with that at that time. Now, let me open up a can of worms here. Uh, I love my mega church, and mm-hmm. it's a really ridiculously huge youth group and the missions trips that they go on and the fact that they encourage the kids to be in worship and to indeed sit in big church. However, mm-hmm. okay, uh, growing up in the church, Joshua, and I don't know if you want to mention your church or say if it was a big church or a small church, what kind of programs you had involved. 
Do you believe that we dumb it down too much for the kids to respect what they're hearing in church? Because you mentioned yourself. Right, right. Uh, You know, I was a kid that had a hard time putting things together already, but there's a lot of analogies that I might miss the point. Or there's, you know, heaven forbid you have a youth group, but we're doing Star Wars analogies for biblical themes. Um, But all of it just wasn't quite um, down to the basics sometimes. Or, Or I suppose maybe... God didn't have your heart ready at that point. That very, it's very well You could have had Billy Graham being your youth group leader, and, and it still wouldn't have sunk. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> so did that lead you to want to go to a school like Multnomah University? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I absolutely loved the Theology Week there. Uh, for the first time, truly understood about grace and forgiveness, connected with it on a deep personal level, and uh, was asking myself for the rest of the summer, how can I get more of this uh, and... Um, Multnomah really was uh, the choice that stood out the most and, and uh, has become a big part of my life now that I've had two degrees from there. <laughs> and, uh, feel free to boast on your son, Okay, Diane well, he Moore. won what the did, Holly Miller get? Award for um, his trip to Nepal. I just have to say that. Wow. Yeah, it's a big Should deal. Should I know who Holly Miller is? Forgive Holly, me. He can tell you it's, it's a really beautiful award at Multnomah. It's It's a peer-elected uh, scholarship is what it is. And it was for a um, Multnomah student that died overseas uh, during a missions trip. And it was funded after that event. Oh, what a beautiful way to give tribute. Mm-hmm. Uh, you must be very proud mm-hmm. of your son, Diane Moore. Mm-hmm. I would like to just say one more thing about, um, for parents who might be listening, is that we did want to attune with his level of difficulty. So we would say to him, and I remember saying to him to this when he was five, that, that life was going to be hard for him that his father and I knew that things would be harder for him than his siblings so that when he would see them and he would notice things, not to think that, that he was dumb, but that it's just how he experienced the world. It was part of his gift of being a problem solver. So how do you sell that to other parents who might have doubts or disappointments? Like God forbid you end up the the little league dad from H-E double hockey sticks who, Mm -hmm. You know, was a high school star, and here's your kid, doesn't know which hand well, to put on top of the bat. First of all, you have to start with not what your feelings, but what do you want your child to feel and think, and then decide your behaviors and actions from there. And we, we oftentimes go the other direction. If we decide that we want our child to feel empowered and motivated, we need to, to figure out how do we want to present to them that's going to make them feel that way. If you come to your child, you're worried, discouraged, afraid, Uh, And you show that to them while you're trying to problem solve. What are they going to think? What are they going to feel if they're six or seven years old and they just got diagnosed with something? Uh, They're obviously not going to have a lot of positive associations about uh, their learning ability um, if that's what they see. So, Diane Moore, counselor, former host of Parent Talk Radio, if there's one thing you wanted to share about your son, professional counselor Joshua Moore, and not simply as being your middle kid, and that you're very proud of him. Mm. What would you like to share about Joshua Moore? That he is a very unique problem solver and um, that he loves the Lord and and that we feel very blessed. I feel blessed for all of my kids. And um, it's just we feel blessed and and we um, we just revel in the faithfulness of God and how he has uh, taken care of us and our worries when they were young. Amen to that. And Joshua Moore, counselor, if you had to say one thing that stands out in your mind about how your parents raised you and how you would want to pass that on and impart it to others, what would that be? They were positive and encouraging. And I think that was the biggest piece uh, that I can think of at the moment.
you know, it sounds so simple, but we so often forget to do that with our kids. So uh, Parent Talk Radio host Diane Moore, and professional counselor, thank you so much for coming in today and for bringing Joshua in. Another counselor, he deals with counseling and neurofeedback. You can find out more about Joshua by giving him a call at 360-909-8838. That's 360-909-8838. And to contact Diane Moore, feel free to email her, diane at centerpointoffices.com. And Diane, Joshua, thank you so much for joining us right here. Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.